We'll go ahead. If you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. We're continuing our series looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I don't know if anyone else has noticed this or not, but but superhero movies are kind of a big deal right now. It's true. Um, and it's that kind of stunning cultural analysis that has gotten me to where I am today. The last few years have seen the assembly of different teams of superheroes like the X-Men or the Avengers, as well as reboots of popular characters like Superman, Batman, and Spider-Man. And although... Although the heroes are often familiar to the audience, that's why they go to see these movies, their origin story, the the story of how the character began, is still a popular subject to depict because we like seeing how our heroes become the hero. In many of their stories, it seems like the hinge point, the, the place in the story that they go from someone with just some unique abilities to an actual hero is when they first don their suit. They go from someone who, who did some isolated good deeds or, or even really wrestled with their powers and what to do with them to someone who saw themselves as responsible to use their abilities, their powers for the good of others from that point forward. The clothes, it seems in these stories, complete the transformation. The clothes, they make the man, the hero. Everything starts coming together at that point. In so many stories, a change of clothes changes everything. We're continuing our series in Ephesians today where Paul uses a description of the Christian experience that uses imagery of taking off a soiled garment and putting on a new, clean one. And like our superhero example, a change of clothes changes everything. The arc of the story changes after the superhero gets his suit. And Paul argues that the trajectory of our story should change as well. So read with me in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Now, this I say, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous. And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt, 
through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, We need God's help to understand and to apply his word to our lives. So would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word that you speak clearly to your people, to your church. We ask, we invite that you would do that today. That by your spirit, you would move among us, that you would speak clearly. And as your sheep, we would hear your voice. We would be eager to respond to the call that you place upon us. That we might more accurately reflect an image and point to you. Who has so graciously called us to himself. Help us as I talk, as, as we sit and listen. Help us to engage with you and be changed by you, we pray. Amen. Well, for the the teens that were at our first Friday meeting a week, just over a week ago, we're going to start off with with the light bulb, Um, the big ideas that are in this passage. So the main idea is that a change of clothes changes everything. And, And the two points we're going to look at this morning is that we're called to live different. We're going to see that in verses 17 and through 19. And then we're going to move on to this call that Paul has for us to not forget, for his readers to not forget. You've been given a new set of Jesus clothes. So first, the call to live different. Verse 17, Paul writes, now this I say and testify in the Lord. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Paul wants to make sure his readers know that this isn't just some helpful advice, a message that that he personally is seeking to convey to them. He, He testifies in the Lord. He wants them to be clear that this is a message from God himself. What he's about to say has come from God and is a message specific to them. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, I find it personally interesting that Paul is telling them not to live as Gentiles since most of this church would have been comprised of Gentiles. And again, for the teens, this this is a question mark moment that we talked about that where we ask the author, why did he write this this way? Paul, Paul is making a statement about he's not making a statement about their ethnic makeup, but rather a spiritual one. Essentially, Paul is saying here, don't don't act like the culture around you. Don't walk even even as you yourself used to. You're not bound by your old neighborhood or your old way of living. Don't get stuck. Remember who you are now. See, it's natural for any of us to to fall back into old habits and patterns. 
We can allow the culture around us to influence us more than we are salt in it. Sometimes a, a single individual, or a single relationship, or, or a small group of friends on a much more personal level than just the broader culture, an individual, just a couple of folks can influence us, tempt us to compromise the mission that we are on. The superheroes that we mentioned a, a minute ago, they have aliases. They have dual identities so that they can go undetected among the people they are there to serve. There's no dual identities for believers. That goes against the purpose in which we're here. Our job is not to blend in, to stay hidden. He's called us to be salt and light in a dark world. He's called us to be different. And so he's saying, don't be, don't walk as the Gentiles do. Even you were once Gentiles. Don't walk the way you used to walk. But, but surely the, the, the Ephesians weren't faced with, with the temptations, the, the pressures that we are tempted with. Today, in our culture, in our society, with the technology that's, that's all around us. Well, look at Paul's description in verse 19 of, of how the Gentiles walk. Because I think we could insert this description into our own day and culture quite easily. Verse 19, he says, they have become callous. And they've given themselves up to sensuality. They're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Does that sound like anything you've seen or heard or been exposed to? See, Paul's description here certainly isn't limited to ancient non-Jews. And even though this was 2,000 years ago, it still has much to speak to us today because the church in Ephesus faced real pressure. Real challenges from the surrounding culture. Ephesus was a thriving city because it was home to the temple of the goddess, the fertility goddess Artemis. That temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was known all throughout Asia as the home of the worship of Artemis. It was the city's identity and the source of its commerce. In fact, we see trouble that Paul gets into in Acts chapter 19 when there's a riot in Ephesus because of their preaching and it was so effective, the work of the church that was going forward, that it was causing a threat to the idol trade the silversmiths were upset in the city of Ephesus. They were having an influence, and yet there was still a very real danger for them to be influenced by those that were all around them. There was a riot that broke out in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. The sale of, of sacrifices and idols fueled the economy of Ephesus. Ritual prostitution was part of the worship. In other words, to be a good follower, that's part of what the experience was. 
Now, not only was this part of the surrounding culture, the church in Ephesus was made up of people from Ephesus. It's what many of the individuals within the church would have been converted out of. This was their first relating to some other deity was this worship of Artemis. And so when when we're talking about temptation towards sensuality and greed to practice every kind of impurity, these aren't just generic phrases that Paul is using. The folks in Ephesus, they had a real meaning. They, They knew what he was talking about and specific temptations that they faced on a daily basis as they walk to market, as they see the temple looming over the town. Everyone that they know is involved in some way, benefiting from the commerce, the traffic, the visitors that come in, the sales of sacrifices. Our day's instant access to pornography or our culture's love affair with casual sex, these aren't the first times that the church has had to battle sensuality and a lust for every kind of impurity. The fact that Paul is needing to speak against these so clearly to the church is likely an indication that members of the church have been giving in. They've been falling short. They've been giving way to the temptations that surround them. They've been failing to abandon some of their former ways. But Paul isn't calling them to repudiate their Gentile heritage in order to behave more Jewish. That's not what he's calling them to do. This this isn't a statement regarding external behavior or a list of acceptable practices. He is way more concerned with helping them to see the condition of their thinking, the condition of their wills that were reflected in their former way of life. So he says in verse 17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility, the pointlessness of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Ignorance is not the same as innocence. They're still culpable. Why? Because the verse continues, due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous. And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice Every kind of impurity. Well before and and much more prominent than giving themselves to sensuality, to the greed for impurity, we have statements that Paul makes about the futility of their minds, their, their darkened understanding, the ignorance due to the hardness of their hearts. See, the sinful actions of impurity and sensuality flow directly from these conditions of their minds, of their hearts. Have become callous and hard. 
So the call to not walk as Gentiles certainly includes avoiding sensuality and every kind of impurity, but it also involves much more than that. The call is to live different entirely. Live different than our own past, different than the surrounding culture. Whether worshiping the goddess or simply their own desires, the Ephesians were worshiping the wrong thing. The same thing is true of every person apart from Christ. No matter their location or time period. The same thing was true for every one of us prior to Christ breaking into our world. And the remedy for that is never different actions. Never different actions alone. Different actions alone are never sufficient. Darkened minds and callous hearts are in need of a total transformation. So that's where Paul goes next. As he calls his readers to not forget. Not forget the reality that they've been given a new set of clothes from Christ. So listen to the contrasting emphasis of mind and will that Paul brings in verse 20. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth, the truth is in Jesus. Again, we we have this what I think is a curious phrase, assuming, assuming that you have heard and were taught in Him. Why is that curious? Because, because Paul himself was there. He personally was teaching and pastoring and caring for this local church for three years during his missionary journeys. He, he was with them, discipling them. Day after day. Paul doesn't have to assume anything. He was there. They did hear. Because Paul proclaimed. They, they were taught. So he is telling them, live like it. Remember, don't live according to your former way of life. You know the truth. It has been proclaimed clearly to you, remember what you have been taught. So what was the message that Paul had personally imparted to them during his time with them? They had been taught that becoming a Christian involves a radical change. Now, conversion is the word we commonly give to the human side of that equation, of that change that, that happens to a person. And recreation is the act of God to make that possible. It's the divine side. It involves the reality that, that God has made us, created us, alive in Him. And by making us alive to Him and in Him, He gives us the power to reject our former self, our fallen humanity, and to be able to embrace the new self Recreated humanity. These are the clothes that Christ clothes us with. 
So he says, don't forget, you've been given a new set of clothes. You don't have to live like this anymore. I mean, really what what he's doing, this is essentially what we use as the parenting equivalent of of telling our three-year-old that you don't have to worry about wetting the bed anymore because you've got your big boy underwear on now. All right, there's there's something different about you now because you're wearing this and so you'll act differently. So he calls them to not forget. Instead, to put off the old self, which is corrupt. So verse 22, we see, put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Obviously, this is what Paul has been talking about for the last several verses, calling them not to live as the Gentiles do. He's just repeating here, you know this, you've heard this, you've been taught this. It's not okay for you to be doing what you're doing, living the life that you used to live. You know, being a believer means a radical change. But here he makes it plain. This is not about an ethnic identity or a list of Gentile actions they need to stop. But instead, it's rejecting even who we ourselves used to be. Our fallen humanity. What we used to desire and worship. To put those things aside. To leave them behind. It involves the way we used to think and the decisions and directions of our will. These are like old, filthy clothes. Corrupt. Need to be put aside. Done away with. Especially when you've been given new clothes by the king. He doesn't stop there. He says, don't don't forget. You've also called, in verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Certainly this makes sense. He's calling them to be cleansed, to be renewed. As we are taking off the old man, the old clothes, the dirty garments, we need to be cleansed before putting on the new. The clean. Otherwise, the the stink that's still stuck on us will get on the new clothes. But the call He makes here isn't so go clean yourselves. Rather, this cleansing is put in passive terms. It's something that happens to us. This command isn't to renew ourselves. We are renewed in the Spirit. There's a great picture of this in Zechariah. I actually want to read that from Zechariah chapter 3 as the prophet is shown a picture of the high priest of Israel whose name was Joshua standing before the Lord and Satan is there. Zechariah chapter 3. He writes, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. Rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? 
Now, Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. You see, Satan wasn't making accusations without reason. If if Joshua, the high priest, was standing before the Lord with filthy garments, he had every reason to make accusation. Actually, the word here for filthy garments, um, it's talking about the worst kind of filth. It's talking about excrement. It's talking, you know, utterly filthy, which not only was dirty to look at, but it made by the law, anyone wearing such garments ceremonially unclean, which was a big problem, especially for the person who was to go before the Lord on behalf of all of Israel, was to represent them and make petitions on their behalf. And he himself is soiled and unclean and unworthy to be standing before the Lord. Satan recognizes this and sees the opportunity to make accusations. They're not without warrant. Yet God does not allow those accusations to stay. Instead, he rebukes because he said that he has chosen and even he has rescued this brand from the fire. Pulled it out before it could be consumed. Now Joshua is standing before the angel. Clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him. Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said. Behold. I have taken your iniquity. Away from you. And I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put clean turban on his head and clothe him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. This call to be clean, he, he needed to be clean. He had no right to stand before the Lord in his soiled, corrupt nature. But the answer was not for him to go and to wash himself, to scrub himself until he was clean. The answer was that Christ cleansed him. The answer was that God himself made a way for him to be clean so that he could indeed stand before the Lord. This renewing, this recreating, this cleansing, these are the works of God in us. They are not our works. Without this, without this cleansing from God, all the putting off and putting on in the world would be fruitless. He must. He must make us new. But because He does, it truly is possible to reject our former selves and instead embrace who He has recreated us to be. And so He continues calling His hearers to not forget, also to put on the new self. Verse 24, put on the new self 
created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, rejecting the old, the corrupt, the dirty, the soiled, the stained, that's not enough. Simply not living as the Gentiles is only part of the equation. Not drinking or smoking or cussing or playing cards or dancing or dressing in a certain way or playing certain kinds of music. Those things don't equal righteousness. We need to put on the new. And that is only possible because we have been recreated in the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. But if we have been recreated in Him, we really can walk in this new reality. He gives us the ability to do what before was impossible for us. Now, we'll still stumble. We'll still fall. But our whole orientation to life will be different. Our trajectory has changed. The arc of our story is no longer what it once was. We can't create our own righteousness or holiness, but we can walk in His and reflect His more day by day, year by year. So I I think Paul makes these appeals to the church at Ephesus for a couple of reasons. First of all, I, I think it's very possible that not all in the gathered church then or today truly are different. So he tells what we should look like. What we should avoid. To give the evidence that is necessary to validate our conversion. But his purpose here is to warn It's to warn those that are not truly different. If you have not left behind your former ways or if you are fully entrapped in the culture of this world, then on what basis do you find evidence that there truly has been a work of God present in you? That's too important of a question to overlook. For the Ephesians, for us. The life of the believer should be marked by personal change, growth, increasing Christ's likeness. Not perfection. None of us are going to get there this side of glory. But we should be moving in the right direction. We should be revealing who is at work within us. It should be evidenced by our lives. The reality of of putting off the old man should be seen as well as putting on the new. I want to be really clear. It's not the basis for our acceptance before God. This is not what makes us worthy to God. This is not what cleanses us. Again, that is a work of God alone. It is not something that I can do to myself. It's not earning. 
It's not doing enough to finally be acceptable to God. We can't do that. But it's showing the work that has taken place inside. Showing that it's genuine by the way that we live, the way we reflect, what we love, what we value, what we worship. Who is most important in our lives? That is something that should be seen, visible, different than it was before. Our obedience doesn't make God love us, but it does reveal His work in us. So, are we different? Are you different? Different than the surrounding culture. Different than you used to be. Is there evidence of God at work? Or are you just good at making some outward adjustments? Don't move too quickly past that question. Is there fruit of a new self? New Jesus clothes? If not, don't rest until you know the joy of Him clothing you in His righteousness. There is no other solution for you. I think Paul also makes these appeals because, well, none of us have arrived yet. He is writing this to the church. Believers that he personally instructed, discipled, and pastored for three years. Paul, author of nearly half the New Testament, he is writing to remind that church not to walk in their former ways. He is writing to remind that church that the putting off, the renewing of their minds, and the putting on of the new man has already occurred in them as believers, but it still needs to be walked out every day. The letter to that church, which isn't filled with corrections like the ones to Corinth or to Galatia, that church still needs to be reminded. They have not arrived even even after having the Apostle Paul with them for three years. And I would just like to suggest that if they needed to be reminded, well... It's probably the same for us. A couple thousand years and a couple thousand miles removed from Ephesus and from Paul, we too need to hear this reminder that change, that growth, that transformation should still define us as followers of a redeeming Savior. I'm aware that many of us myself included, grew up in a church and perhaps have always seen yourselves as different from the surrounding culture. So so does this have anything to say to those of us like that? And again, for the teens, this is this is the arrow. This is the stuff that applies directly to our lives. This is a message that we need to hear. This is a message that a church living in the buckle of the Bible belt needs to hear. Even if you grew up in a Christian home, even if you grew up going to Sunday school and church every Sunday like I did, and 
Sunday nights and Wednesday nights too. Even if your morality through your teen years would pass the test of every fundamentalist preacher in town, you aren't exempted from what Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus. Your life must be marked by transformation just as much as a former addict's would. Yours might be harder to see and be more internal, but it still must be present. I'm the oldest of four boys, four brothers. Brother is just below me in age, and I have very different testimonies. As you'd guess, I was a fairly good child. (laughs) I was the oldest. There wasn't tons of drama, if you can believe that. By no means was I an angel, but I do think I was genuinely converted at a fairly young age. I never had a time of really significant rebellion. Standing up here and giving my testimony would sound fairly boring, boring, boring. It's the same kind of testimony I want from my kids. My brothers looked a lot different. They're only three years younger. His involved doing and dealing drugs from a young age. Run-ins with mom and dad, local police, the DEA, border patrol, and distancing himself from our family. Of course, it also includes Jesus, who wrecked my brother's world with the gospel during a meeting he had no desire to be at. Now, transformation for the two of us has looked very different. His is obvious in many ways, like not doing and dealing drugs for starters, restoration with the family, his involvement in his local church, now serving and discipling others. But just because my conversion wasn't as outwardly dramatic, I still need to put off the old self. My mind still needed to be renewed. I still had to put on the new self. I still need to evidence that transformation and live it out every day. Though my transformation is largely more inward in motives and attitudes, choices unseen by almost anyone, it's no less essential no less necessary than my brothers. Both of us need to daily choose how we will interact with a world fraught with temptation. The drug dealer and the boring older brother both need Jesus. Drug dealer's sins don't disqualify him from the Savior's offer of redemption. The older brother's perceived goodness doesn't exempt him from the need of that same redemption. The legalist who thinks he is keeping the law needs to have his mind renewed by the Savior and his life transformed just as much as the rebellious prodigal does. So what does this mean for us as disciples? Friends, if you are in Christ, you have been cleansed. 
we've been given a new set of clothes. A new man to put on. That affects how we live. It affects the decisions we make. So how is that reflected in our lives? Disciples change. Disciples grow to be more like Jesus. So let's just get real... Let's get uncomfortably practical for a minute. Do you have a particular area you're seeking to grow? Next week we'll have part two of this passage and look at some specific areas that Paul lays out for putting off and putting on and examples of what that looks like. But for this week, I mostly just want to remind us of the reality that growth in holiness isn't something we just drift into. So if you don't have something specific you're trying to grow in right now, I'm just going to ask a couple questions. Maybe this will help. Five years from now, if if God could make you more like Himself than you are today in, in one area, what do you think He would want it to be? Just one area. Just one way He would want you to reflect Him more. If He wants you to get to that place, is there someone you think He might use to help get you there? Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a care group member. Your spouse. Another couple. A friend that's a few years older. But if He wants to get you to that place of more and more reflecting Him in this particular area, is there someone you can think of that He might want to use? To encourage you, to help you to get to that place. Can you, can you think of specific actions or decisions that, that God would want you to make to help you get to the place that He wants to take you? Is there one thing, just one thing that you can do this week that could help you to take a step just one step in that direction. Now, this question could be separate or, or related, but, but what is one thing you can do this week that reflects that you are wearing your Jesus clothes? Maybe it's something that you would never do apart from Him clothing you in His righteousness. A call that He has placed on you because... He's called you not to reflect this world, but to reflect Him. What's one thing you can do that can evidence that this week? As a church of disciples that are called to grow more and more like Jesus, we want to make that idea of what it means to be disciples that are growing as practical as it can be. So over the next few months, we, we want everyone to be able to identify at least one area of life that you believe God is desiring you to grow in. And also, in, over the next several months, we, we want everyone to be able to identify and begin purposefully relating to at least one individual that, that can walk with you, that can encourage you in seeking to grow in that area. 
That's something we desire for our whole body. That God can help us all take steps that He has for each of us. And it's going to be different for each of us. But we can help each other. We can walk alongside each other. We can encourage each other to be more and more like Him in practical ways. So ideally, we'd all seek at least one person we can help to encourage their growth as well. May God help us in the coming days to, to not just talk about being disciples, but to find practical ways in which we know this is what it looks like for me personally right now to walk as a disciple of Jesus, to seek to be growing in my discipleship after Christ. How I can reflect Him, how He wants me to show Him more and more. And I think there's at least one other reason Paul writes this. That's because there is real hope. Real hope even for those that have stumbled and fallen. Friends, none of this is about trying harder. Don't think because of the put off and put on language that this is simply about deciding to change and doing things differently. I said it before, I'm going to say it again. This is something that is born of God. The cleansing that needs to take place, only God can do. But He delights to do it. He is the one that renews our minds. He is the one that makes all of this possible. We're not talking about self-improvement here. We're talking about being transformed from the inside out. Remember from the beginning of chapter 2, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, but God made you alive in Christ and seated you with Him in the heavenly places. Talk about a transformation. Drug dealer to small group leader is not a big transformation compared to death to life. This is what we are talking about when it says to put off the old. Put on the new. Put off that which was death. And instead walk in what He has made alive. As Christians, our reference point is not our past, who we used to be, what we used to think or do. And it's never the culture around us. Instead, it is looking forward to who He is making us in Him. And that is what we live out day by day right now. If you are a Christian, your past sins and failures will never define you. You have been made alive with Christ and seated with Him in the heavenly places. He has renewed your mind and is helping you to live out the nature of the new man. None of us are perfect. You still stumble. You're still going to stumble. We're still going to reflect Him imperfectly. Until that day in which we're 
truly transformed, fully transformed into His likeness when we see Him face to face. But not before that. Until that day, we continue to grow. We continue to take one step at a time. Continue moving towards Him. Grow in our likeness of Him. Because He has brought us from death to life. He's given us a new suit. New clothes that change the trajectory of the rest of our story. And because this change of clothes, it changes everything. Let's pray together. Father, we we thank you that you knew what you were getting into when you chose to come after us. You chose to come and to redeem those that were your enemies those that were running the other direction from you. You're not surprised by our weaknesses. You're fully aware of our failures. And yet you still came. Lord, may we live in such a way that it truly reflects what you have done in us, for us. Not as debtors, but as those who are truly alive. Those who are able to do that which we had no power to do before. May we showcase you to those around us. Would you help us to grow more and more in love with you, more and more in awe of you, more and more like you. We pray in your great name, Jesus. Amen.